Come on, let's give Jesus some praise. Amen. You may be seated. Very grateful for the leadership of this incredible place. This is a very special place. And I remember going to dinner that one time, picking you guys up from the airport and going to dinner at that steakhouse. And they made your president take his hat off at that restaurant. And uh, I'm just very grateful for your leadership. You've taught more staff meetings of ours than you even realize from that yellow book of leadership quotes. Very grateful for you. Sue Young was a lady in our church who gave her life to Christ after I presented the gospel just a few months ago. And whenever you get saved or have a conversion experience at Focus Church, uh, we celebrate it big time. And whenever someone raises their hand or responds to the altar, they are given a little basket with a a little baptism coupon, you know, 50% off your water baptism or whatever it is. And baptism t-shirt and there's a new believer's bible inside that little bag and as people leave church on sunday morning it's always fun for me to spot the little salvation bags knowing that hell has been plundered and heaven has been populated from the good news of jesus christ that gets preached every week it's kind of like a little game that i play while i'm greeting people in the lobby is like how many little salvation bags are leaving with New Believer Bibles. And Sue got saved, and we celebrated Sue in staff meeting the following day. We, we celebrated all that God was doing in our church, and a couple of weeks went by, and uh, after the service, Sue approached me with her New Believer Bible, and I said, Sue, congratulations on your new faith in Jesus. I'm so proud of you, and uh, how is it going? She says, great. She says, I just have one question, Pastor Mike. And she brought me her Bible, and I said, sure, what is it? And I thought we were about to step into some theological discourse about the inerrancy of Scripture. And this is what Sue asked. She said, what are the big numbers, and what are the small numbers? She didn't know the difference between the format of our word, chapter, and verse. Why are you here at North Central? You're here because wherever you go after this season in your life, there will be people that you come in contact with that will not know the difference between the big number and the small number. There will be people in your life who if you do not go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and then walk out a life of discipleship with them, they will live their entire life not even knowing the power of God's word. Sue just didn't even know how we had the thing laid out. And so my encouragement to you today is to find yourself in a place in life during, these, during your season here at North Central and beyond where you constantly ask God to reveal to you the people in your life who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and who need to, who need to be discipled. And one of the things uh, that will help you become a healthy disciple maker is understanding who you are yourself in Christ. Finding out who you are allows you to then help other people discover who God made them to be. But until you know your own self, it's hard to make disciples of Christ. 
So today, over the next couple of minutes that we have together, I want to ask you if you know who you really are. Do you know who you really are? The reality is this, and this might be interesting to you. It was interesting to me when when this thought came into my mind. I've never actually seen myself. Like my eyeballs have never laid eyes on me. They're pointing outward. I've actually seen you more than you've seen you. And you've actually seen me more than I've seen me. Which is interesting because in a world where we are uh, really fixated on what people think about us and how it looks photoshopped, cropped, and uh, filtered, it's interesting that we've never even seen ourselves. <laughs> when There's a culture obsessed with themselves. I mean, if I were to ask you right now to pull out your phone and go to the selfies album in your camera roll, I won't do that to you because I don't want to embarrass you. But uh, chances are there are hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures inside just the selfies folder of your phone. And it's not a bad thing, but what I don't want is I don't want you to fall in love with the perceived version of you that is not the real version of you, because then you'll fall in love with the filtered, photoshopped, cropped, perceived version and not the real version of who you really are. Who you are is actually so important, especially during these formative years in your life. Because if you go out of here not knowing who you are, you will only be disappointed. Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman who doesn't know who she is in John chapter 4. And I will do my very best to summarize and work through this, but there's so much here when it comes to identity and knowing who we are, because once you know who you are, nothing can stop you once you know who you are in Christ. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. That is a whole sermon in itself, Uh, But Jesus will go through anywhere to get to anyone. That's why God might call you out of here once you're finished studying here. God might call you to a place that feels like Samaria, but it's where Jesus would go. And if he's called you to go there, there are people that need the Lord. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well. About noontime soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, which you never would have done at noontime. You would have done it at the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, but she, was, she had no idea who she was, so she was embarrassed, and so she came to the well when no one else would be there. Soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to Chick-fil-A only to find out that it was Sunday. He had, he, his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And, and, and she said to Jesus, you, ew, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that that God has for you and who you are speaking to, then you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Anytime Jesus asks you for something, 
we tend to answer in the most practical response that we can. Well, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and I do. I got something Jesus doesn't. I got baggage, I got dysfunction, but I do got one thing. I got a bucket, and Jesus doesn't have it. Look at my bucket. That's essentially what she says. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Very interesting. Very interesting that she starts to derive her value from what she has and not who she is. There are several questions that you ask yourself or you ask others when you get to know them. And the first question, which I don't think is a great question to ask because it really limits the God potential that is on every single one of you. But that first question is, what do you do? What do you do? Those are the one thing, that's the one thing she had. She, what do you do? Well, I draw water because I have a bucket. These were the external gifts that she had that Jesus didn't have. She didn't even know who she was talking to. She thought she was better than Jesus. She said, I got a bucket. You don't have a bucket. She didn't know she was talking to the man that in John, in, the, in just a couple of chapters earlier, converted the molecular structure of water into wine. You don't have a bucket. You don't know who you're talking to. I've turned water into wine. She didn't know who she was talking to. The same guy who she goes, where's your bucket? He literally had made water his floor and walked on it. Where's your bucket? Where's your gift? What do you do? She didn't know who she was talking to. The same guy, she's like, where's your bucket? He had calmed the wind and the waves with his voice. Here's the problem, though. We tend to cling to the things that we are proud of when we have things that we are ashamed of. If you know this story, this lady has some baggage, and so the only thing she has is a bucket. The only thing she has that Jesus does not have is a bucket. So she looks at it, and what do you do, Jesus? Uh, you can't draw water like I can draw water. I can do water better than you can do water because I have a bucket and you do not. The problem is, is we begin to see ourselves through the lens of what we do, and that is not what God has called you to. You've never seen you, so you tend to see yourself through what you do. You become your platform version of yourself. You become the fine arts festival version of yourself. Come on, somebody. You become the Instagram story version of yourself. And I came to declare to someone today who has misplaced identity, you are not what you do. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. There's a lot of pressure in failure, but there's even more pressure in success. So we hang on to our followers, our subscribers, our comments, our shares, our likes. And we cling to buckets. We cling to buckets. We cling to the things that we are proud of because we have things that we are ashamed of. Many of us, we don't even know what it's like to be loved without our gift. Maybe you came from a dysfunctional household where they only loved you for the scoreboard at the football stadium on Friday nights. They only loved you because of the report card that you presented at the end of every semester. You are not what you do. Don't attach yourself to the bucket that draws water when you are face to face with living water. 
So what do you do is a question that I think we shouldn't be the first to ask because what you do is not indicative of who you are. Verse 12, and besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Then how can we offer better water than the sons of his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never become thirsty again. I become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come to here to get water. Go and get your husband. What a weird change of subject. We've been talking about water for 15 minutes. Why in the world would you change the subject to go and get your husband when we're talking about water? Because the other side of the same coin of misplaced identity is not just what you do, but sometimes the enemy will use, what have you done? Go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For your, You've had five husbands. Hello. Hello. What do you do? I get water at noon. What have you done? I've had five husbands. <laughs> For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You have certainly spoke the truth. What you do and what you have done have no bearing on how much God wants to use you. It's so important that you realize this in in the few moments that we have together today. I want you to divorce yourself from your gift and I want you to divorce yourself from your guilt. You are not what you do and you are not what you have done. Once you realize that, you can be secure in the identity that Christ has called you to, and then nothing will be impossible. But if you keep limiting yourself to the capacity of your gift, or you keep limiting yourself from the enemy convincing you that you can't do much because of what you've done, your gift and your guilt are not bearing on how much God loves you and how he wants to use you and what he wants to accomplish in your life. You are not your gift and you are not your guilt. Who you used to be can sometimes become your greatest enemy. Oh, if you only knew how bad I was in high school, if you only knew the lack of holiness, there are two H's that you need on the weekend here at North Central And one is homework and one is holiness. And some of you in your former life lacked holiness. And I want to let you know that there's grace for that today. And you are not bound by the guilt that the enemy has tried to convince you you have to carry. You are not your dysfunctional past. And you are not just the gifted bucket that you have. You're not your gift and you're not your guilt. It says this. This is very interesting. As I close, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Wait. Pause. The one thing she said that Jesus did not have, once she met Jesus, she no longer needed it. The bucket that she told Jesus she had, but he didn't have. Sir, where's your bucket? She leaves at the well once she meets the living water. 
you can now function confidently in your gift, but you won't need your gift to function. Once you realize that I'm in Christ and I'm a new creation, then yes, I can lead worship. Yes, I can lead a movement. Yes, I can plant a church, but that is not who I am. That's what I, you are seeing me right now in my gift. Did you know that on this Monday morning here in North Central? Meet me Tuesday in traffic heading to Costco. Be careful that you don't fall in love with the gift. And be careful that you don't fall subject to living under shame of your guilt. But instead, in this, if, if I was 22 again, if I was 20 years old again, if I was 19 again, I would want someone to tell me, you are not what you do and you are not what you've done. You are a child of God, royal priesthood, separated from the world, destined for greatness, called by God by name. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The thing that she owned was the thing that owned her, but she left it at the well. You, my friends, are not your gift, even though here at North Central you are going to be developed into being a person who uses their gift for the glory of God. And you are not your guilt. You are not those DMs that you sent. You are not that abusive relationship that you had with your father. You are not the dysfunction that is currently exists in your family. You are not the church hurt that you experienced by going through 12 youth pastors in eight years. You are separated from both what you're good at and what you're guilty of. And we are separated not by our own effort, but by Jesus. And when you know who you are in Christ, you can now exercise your gift confidently and freely, and you can, free, you can be free from shame and guilt of your past. Five husbands, the person you're with is, no, is not even your husband. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to live, you don't have to live cross-armed, not being able to worship because you feel bad about what you did. You can worship freely because he has called you as an individual. You are not your sin. You are not your success. You are a son and daughter. You are not the debt that you owe, and you are not the things that you've done. You are a daughter. You are not your guilt, and you are not your gift. You are called to reflect God's glory. You are a son and daughter of God. Come on, let's thank him for his goodness. Let's thank him that you're not, that you're not who you used to be. Let's thank him that he not only gifted you, but he also de-guilted you. Come on, you can do better than that. Let's thank him as sons and as daughters and as people who have been adopted into the family of God. Remain standing for just a moment. I close with this. Ten years ago to the day, I was bussing tables at Panera Bread for $7.25 an hour. They might even have a picture of me bussing tables up there. I'm not sure. 
There was a call of God and two nickels to rub together. And over the past 10 years, we went from seven people in my living room. I was telling the class earlier, I was like, I would look for people praying over their broccoli cheddar soup. And if they look, I don't know who you're praying to and what you're praying for, but you are going to be a Christian by the time I'm done with you. You know what I'm saying? We took, we took seven people in our living room and moved to a school and then moved to a community center, then moved to another school, then moved to a country club, then uh, moved to a, 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 a church on Saturday, a friend's church on Saturday nights because we ran out of space and then uh, got, in, got a, an existing church that helped merge us together and then we got another building and now we're three locations in 10 years from seven people to now seeing over a thousand people on the weekend and I will tell you this there are days where I worship my gift and those aren't good days those days where I think highly of my sermon and not highly of who Christ is and then there are days where I'm reminded of my guilt and my shame I'm reminded of my past and my brokenness and my despair my sinful nature but a good day is when you wake up in the morning and you say, God, I'm not my gift. God, I'm not my guilt. I'm not what I did and I'm not what I do. But instead, I'm a son of God. And when the spirit of adoption reaches your heart, <laughs> when the spirit of adoption reaches your soul, you start to realize that you can use your gift, but you don't have to be obsessed with it. And you can experience guilt, but you can be freed from it. <laughs> because you are sons and daughters of God. I love you dearly, and these are formative years in your life. And if I could go back to where you are right now, I would tell you, Though you're gifted, you are not your gift. And though you've made some mistakes, you are not a mistake. The same God that gifted you also has de-guilted you. Let me pray for you, Father. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh in this house. Over every single student, every single faculty member, that we would not be obsessed with anything else other than sonship, that we would not be obsessed with anything else other than adoption, that we would not be obsessed with our gift and that we would not be ashamed by our guilt, but instead we would leave our gift at the well and we would run back to our city. We would run back to this neighborhood. We would run back to our dorm room and to our classroom and we would say, I met the man who told me everything I've ever done. I pray that you would gift us and de-guilt us today. But more than that, adopt us. Adopt us into sonship. Adopt us into the family of God. We thank you in advance for all you're going to do in our lives during these formative years. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. That was enough. The cross was enough. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you dearly. Thank you for your time today. <laughs>